Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, hello, welcome. It is the MXP podcast. This week is the MHX Machin podcast. I'm joined by my dad for this one. Dad, hi. Hello. You good? No. No, you're in a bad way, aren't you? Yeah, full of gold. <laughs> um, I just get my voice back after the weekend and I lose my voice again. It's it's typical, isn't it? I um, there's, there's a lot of people walking around the, 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 the streets in Liverpool, walking into offices today and, and yesterday, whatever, with a, a slight croak yeah. in the throat. Um, have you suitably recovered? Um, uh, I mean, apart from the fact that you've come down with the cold after the fact, emotionally come down from the final no, no I'm still way up there yeah still just buzzing after the whole thing it's around, you know it's super it's 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 one of those weird situations because obviously we're recording this is the, a few days now with, uh, midweek after the Champions League final and I'm sure the people who watch this and listen to this who aren't Liverpool fans will probably have reached their saturation point of seeing happy Liverpool fans but we're not we're happy Liverpool fans and I said this before the podcast last week about how you know we're not going to focus too heavy on Liverpool stuff on the on this channel because we've got red men I do a lot on my personal YouTube channel as well but again I think the Champions League has such a, a cultural significance it has such a big place in football and in, and in the world and obviously in the city that we're that we're from as well and I thought it was worth talking about but we're going to talk a little bit more about you in a bit in, in a bit Dad and your, your, your kind of life growing up through it all and what have you but in the aftermath what I've discovered is this is the best social media has ever been I and, and my, my wife's been turning to me over the last few days and going what are you doing because we've reached the point where I spend a lot of time on my phone because of my job and we've reached the point where I've had to say to her at times like there are times where I am often working I'm not often dicking about messing around on the internet no I have I've spent the last three days Every time I refresh my Twitter feed, I see something else, something new, something brilliant that I'd not seen before. A different angle on it, yeah. 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 I mean, all the footage... I mean, I'm still buzzing off the fan park. Yeah. And the footage that's still coming out from that, from different angles and people's different experiences of it, and just brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's it's played... um, a part in what's going on in my head. Yeah. In that, I, I put a tweet out saying, "Has anybody else had Liverpool, just Liverpool songs run through there for two days?" Well, it's now four days. Yeah. And well, I, I just d- nothing but Liverpool songs. Well, you said to me because we were lucky enough to get uh, backstage on, on, on the fan park. But you said to me on like the morning of it, like I don't really know the words to the Firmino song yet, and I don't. And I was like, "You will, you will." You yeah, will. Yeah. And it, and and that's the thing is that it's. And again, I said to you because Kiev was so was so incredible. Wait till you see this. What was your what was your takeaway from the from the kind of build up from the fan park stuff? Well, the fan park 
it'd be a bit strange to say it made the occasion because obviously we went on and won the European Cup for the sixth time. But it got me in really in the right place, you know. I mean, normally you go to the match and you're, you're there, you know, you're in the right place for watching Liverpool play. But I don't know, there's something about being with all your compatriots, you know, um, and just buzzing off the same thing and you carry that. I'm, I'm fairly certain that if you walk up to anyone, any Liverpool supporter after the fan park, they'd all have that same look on their face, yeah. you know. Uh, it was just just this feeling of be, belonging. Yeah, you know, we got we we got a great moment because we took a little break and went for, to get, went to get some lunch, didn't we? And we got chatting to two Aussie fellas who did, like did flown over from Australia. Yeah. Just to be without in, tickets, without tickets, just to be in Madrid and soak it all up. And I think what that we we had a lot of stories and tales around that. Obviously, lots of people who managed to get in, which was which was great. But yeah, the, you know, we had the talk of it there being fifty thousand people turned up to that fan park, and, and I've heard I've heard rumours of more and what have you. But you know, there weren't there wasn't fifty thousand Liverpool fans in in the ground, and then we, we were bumping into people saying, "Where are you going?" And they were going to the they found a bar by the Bay and about. So yeah. they were and Liverpool fans just. Scattered throughout the city to to find themselves little places to yeah. settle. I mean, in people for keep it. saying, kept saying to me, because if you look at the footage from the front, you see this like Stonehengey sort of pie sign made of yeah. you know stone or whatever, and that's about as far as I could see. Yeah, but I keep I kept getting people saying to me, it goes way way back beyond that. Yeah. and when then you see some of the footage that people were, were had filmed, and you just from the other end, from like yeah. beyond that, and you, you realise how immense it was. Yeah. yeah. So what have you, what are some of the favourite things that you've you've stumbled upon in your many in your many Twitter refreshes in the days that have followed? Um, I, I'm still gobsmacked by the um, the parade the following day. Yeah. Because although, and I think I think what. What um, I really liked was that the the, the players were were duped. Yeah, they thought going to like Queen's Drive or Old Swan or whatever was the Liverpool fans yeah. cheering them home. Yeah, and then they got to town <laughs> and they saw the Strand, and you just see the look on their faces yeah. when they see the amount of people who are lying in the Strand. It was funny because when we got we got to Queen's Drive. And it was quite, there was a lot of people lying in Queen's Drive because we got there a good hour pretty much before it all, the, the bus actually arrived. There was loads of people there, but it wasn't dense. And then I got, I walked up to the fiveways and there was loads of people, but it wasn't thick. By the time the, the bus came, you know, the, the roundabout, half of the roundabout was completely full of people, so you could only go around it one way. It yeah. wasn't cordoned off by the police, it was blocked off by fans. And I was immensely proud of how many people that was. But you're right, when I started to see the footage and I watched the live stream of the, of, of the parade, and you see, and you, now you see the photos, and then the, they're going to be some of the most iconic photos of, in in Liverpool's history, with all the smoke going off, and it's the wide shots when you yeah, see yeah, the yeah. volume of bodies. Yeah, and there's lots of aerial ones as well. Mm. You know, you just see the depth, uh, and there's one I don't know uh, exactly where it is, but the whole of the side is full of people, both sides full of people, but on the other side, it even goes back down the street. You know, yeah. um, it's just phenomenal the amount of people who got that. It's when you realise that you're talking, it's a thousand people deep off the side. Yeah. You know, and so if you're going down the side, so you are miles away from the road and the coach, the coach would have been a dot to, the, to, to a lot of those people and they just wanted to be there and see it. The, one of the things that really got me in, in the immediate aftermath of the game was the Jordan Henderson video that came out with him hugging his dad.
Um, I I was in that was the that was the closest I'd come to crumbling when I when I first saw that because I thought because it's quite a long video because it's a quite a long hug. <laughs> yeah, well, what I didn't do, I re- the first thing I saw was uh, Jordan hugging Klopp and crying, yeah. and I thought, oh, he's just overcome with the emotion of being captain and winning the trophy. I hadn't realised the backstory until much later. And yeah, it was a really heartwarming story, wasn't it? You know? And you realise his dad, you know, his dad had come back from him throat cancer. He had been his greatest, you know, his greatest supporter throughout all this time and to have him to have him there as well. And then he gets gets the most it's not like a because we all do it. We all do the masculine thing. We can have a hug. But you don't often have a, like a a full on collapse into each other hug and you see it and it gets it's one of those those moments. Of a, of a between a normal hug and a proper hug is when someone just grips a little tighter halfway through, and you can see that. And like, I think Jordan maybe he, he just claps a bit, and his dad grabs him a bit more and gives him a little pat on the back, and they stay in that for ages, and they're both obviously really emotional. And you, you're right, it does. I we had much more of that this time around, I think, than than, than like Istanbul and what have you. And I think it, it it gives you a great sense. I feel a lot. I feel a much greater connection to this Liverpool team than I think I did even even to the two thousand and five one because you had Gerrard and Carragher and we loved it for them and there's a lot of them kissing the medals and kissing the things and celebrating and we've got all that but the the I feel like the the connection between the fans and the players because we see the videos of like Trent celebrating and the players but, celebrating I mean, the, in front of the fans. The, things, the big difference for me is that two thousand and five we knew that team wasn't very good. Yeah. <laughs> we we sort of stumbled our way to the final and then won it in the most brilliant dramatic fashion and that's why it's so iconic is because it was so dramatic yeah and the, you know the comeback the whole world were thrilled by what we were able to do yeah um but this time we're, we're winning it with a team who are only just starting yeah this team is not going to change next year like the you know after 2005 the team was totally different in 2006 yeah you know so you know that this it feels as though it's the start of us being a great side and you know not just a great club yeah yeah absolutely you know. one of the things i thought was really encouraging um about the, about being over in madrid as well cuz there's been this uh, social media i think Conceit that Liverpool fans are all knobheads this year, you know, and then there's like a, everyone hates Liverpool and doing this for the, doing it for doing it for the rest of the world and not, not live, have Liverpool win and what have you. And I've spoken to a, a Flav, who's a, a Spurs fan mate of mine, and he was saying how again the, the positive way of coming back from Spurs fans is they they went with a, a, an expectation of how Liverpool fans were going to be and the positivity that they've come they've come back with. And we saw it a few times. We saw. On a couple of different occasions, Liverpool fans and Spurs fans inhabit in the same bar, having a little sing back and forth. I never oh, yeah. saw an ounce of trouble. No. And uh, the number of tweets I've seen from Tottenham supporters who've gone out of their way to say, I was really impressed with how Liverpool fans conducted themselves and we had a great time and blah, blah, blah. And you know, the, the Tottenham fans have been absolutely brilliant in defeat. Yeah. You know, absolutely spot on. Yeah. I'm um, very, very impressed with them. I because the the thing is, and I, I must admit, I was worried. I, I was I, I, whenever I, I hear it being two English teams in the final, I I am worried because you know, look as Liverpool fans, we've had to live in the in the shadow of of, of Heisel, haven't we? You know, for yeah, yeah. For, for all Absolutely. for all this time, and 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 the, the and the that 
idea of it being thuggish culture. And we saw it in the press coverage of this game ahead of the game when we landed in Madrid. It was all about this, like almost like the English terror descending upon Madrid. And there was loads of video clips of loutish looking Spurs fans with the beers. And they showed the clip of the, the Liverpool fan pushing the fella into the fountain in, in Barcelona again and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it was a real. Uh, we, we ended up being that both Liverpool fans and Spurs fans are big. Advocate for the way English football the thing is, you can never legislate for having one dope. Yeah, you know, we'll do something stupid, or two or three people will do something stupid, or you'll get rotten drunk and get fighting mad as you know people do. Um, And it it shouldn't reflect on the whole fan base. Yeah, fortunately, I don't even recall one of those incidents in Madrid. I've never, I've not heard any reported or anything like that. You know. That's right, but I, 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 hopefully you've got you've got to hope that it starts to finally, finally puts to bed a lot of those fears and stuff because there are they, they still exist on the continent, don't they? You know, there's a there is a stigma that's attached around it, around English football fans. Well, still. I mean, you know, I I think what what's emerged in recent years is um, ultra right fans in other countries see us as a sort of notch on yeah. their you know their club or whatever it is they use. They they see us as the hooligans, you know, to beat. Yeah. Even though we're no longer that that, yeah. that people, you know, we've we've given up hooliganism to a large extent. You see, with Italian football, I, there's ne- I, you don't hear a story of a team, an English team going to Italy without fans getting chased. No, or, they get stabbed and everything yeah. in Italy. It's just, just disgraceful. But um, you know, I I would never have gone to an England football match, even if I was inclined, which I've not never really been. I have. Seen England at Anfield, I think, sure. but I wouldn't have gone be- because um, there was full of mad nutters yeah. who just wanted to fight people. And you know, I've heard reports, you know, at Liverpool away games where there were there were groups of people who weren't Liverpool supporters who were going to Liverpool football matches abroad so they could have a fight. Yeah, you know, and you know, we've we've moved away from that, but sadly, you know, the far right are on the rise. And football's a real target for those people because it's easy. Yeah. You know? What was it? What was it like? You mentioned it there. What What was it like? Those immediate you know, the the years in the aftermath of Heisel because again it's it's the bit it's the darkest mark against Liverpool Football Club and almost English English football history. Really. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I personally, I didn't think many of them were Liverpool fans. Not many of them were from Liverpool who who caused the problems. Uh, I don't think enough blame was taken by UEFA for putting people in a stadium. I mean, everyone, every football supporters, all football supporters in those days had moments where they they charged other fans. But you were segregated, so it didn't really matter. Yeah. But if you're in a ground which is crumbling, yeah. then you, you, it's a disaster waiting to happen. And, you know, UEFA have never stood up and taken any responsibility for what happened. And the year before, we'd been attacked by Rome fans and people got stabbed you know, uh, and I've said before, I, I knew someone who got stabbed and never went to a football match again yeah. after Rome. Um, so we were playing another Italian side. So you, there's, there was bound to be people there who wanted to have a bit of a go. Yeah. So why put them in a stadium which wasn't big enough, which was from well, uh, the 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 friends I had who went came back with their tickets because they said the ter- there were no turnstiles. You just walk through a hole in the wall. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, it was just crazy, and um, no, I'm not trying to exonerate the fans that that caused the problem, but there were other people who were culpable as well, and they've never stood up. Yeah. And so I personally never really felt massive guilt over it. I felt a bit of shame, yeah. you know, as you would, um, 
and I but I'm not buying the this um thing that you get from a lot of Man United supporters and Everton supporters about Liverpool fans were responsible for them getting banned for five years. That's not true. Mm-hmm. What got them banned for five years was all the hooliganism that yeah. came before Heysel, yeah. mainly by Man United supporters and Chelsea supporters and Tottenham supporters, not Liverpool supporters. Liverpool supporters had a fantastic record. Yeah. You know, but it ended up being Europe, the straw that broke the camel's back. It was the straw that broke the camel's back, and we got an extra year banned because of that. And you know, that's fair enough. And we, you take that on the chin. Yeah. And you know, we've never really recovered from that until now. Yeah. That's right, isn't it? Because I, I think that again, it's it's something you still see it now. You still see it referenced all the time. You know, uh, fans of other clubs go back and reference it. And a lot of them look again. I was what a couple of years old at the at, at the time. I've got no sense of, no sense of it. What it was, what it was like, and what it, what it, what it meant at the time. But it did, you know, it cast a cloud over over in, over English football. That it that the whole thing hasn't hasn't you know is only really starting to emerge from in in, in modern times. Well, we still get called murderers when you know by by idiots, mm. you know. Um, but it led it, it obviously it led on and it led on into Hillsborough, um, and you know I, I was six at the time, you know, and and you were you you obviously you actually went to, to, to Hillsborough, didn't you? I mean, talk about the, 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 the again the, the aftermath and stuff of it. But what was that? What was that like? Because you, you know that that was a time when you know Liverpool were all. We're always in the FA Cup. The, the later stages of the FA Cup, you know, we we won it in '86. We'd lost it in '88, and we were back. We were heading back towards the final again in '89. We'd been, to, you know, people had been to Hillsborough in, in the times leading up to that. It was it was it was known amongst fans as not being a particularly great environment. What was you went? You've to, you told me this story in, in the past, but what was it? What was your experience going down to Hillsborough on that on that day? Well, it was exactly the same as the year before, you know. Got a, you know, got in the car, drove down to Sheffield, found somewhere to park the car. In fact, we parked in the same place, I think. Then we did. We got a bus into town as we done. Had some lunch. Except in this case, we went into a uh, into a pub. The second year, this is Hillsbury year. Went in and it was full of um, Nottingham Forest supporters. So uh, we left pretty quickly, <laughs> uh, and we ended up getting a bus back towards the ground and getting off and stopping at a pub and having some, you know. Uh, Having a pint and a, something to eat, and then got to the got to the ground as we always did, exactly as we'd done the year before, with about half an hour to go before kick off, uh, and just rammed. You just couldn't get anywhere near the turnstiles. And um, I was with my sixteen-year-old, with a sixteen-year-old son of my friend, um, who was got off to go some some other part of the ground. So. I was fearful for the 16-year-old, and I, I dragged us out to the side by a wall, and I stood us by the wall, and I said, "We don't need to. We don't need to see the kickoff. Yeah. You know, it's too dangerous." And then they opened the gates, and we strolled in, and it was uh, we were we were down in the in the, uh, in the stand at the side, so we we walked down there, and we were fine. And but then started seeing, you know, people on the pitch, and then eventually I saw someone carried down. I thought, "He's dead." You know, and so I got up and I got the sixteen-year-old out. We were in separate seats from mm-hmm. a different block, so I went and got him and took him out, made sure he didn't see any more of that. Because it, it, it's one of those things, isn't it? Because you'd have you've been you'd have seen it unfolding. That's the thing, you know. There's people who are obviously in the Leppings Lane end at the time, you know, who were right in the crush and right in, in the thick of it, you know. And, and I, I guess one of those things you must look back on it because 
it's a, it's a by the grace of God kind of situation, isn't it? Because well, I've been in loads of crushes, particularly if you, you used to go to Anfield and you'd you'd end up in say the Kemlin Road in Kemlin Road itself, yeah, rammed with people trying to get in through the turnstiles, and it would just be absolutely horrendous, you know. And you'd always be, you know, you'd you'd be told, oh, make sure you don't have your hands in your pockets because you'll end up breaking your arm and all, you know. So that that was the environment. So you were quite used to crushes of football grounds. Well, you look and, at the cop, and the cops are a swaying, oh, yeah. full motion yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of thing in, the, yeah, in, yeah. in those days prior to the. Yeah. Uh, the and you used to used to queue to get in because you paid on the gate uh, and uh, you know, that that's one of the good things about today that you don't have that kind of crushing to pay on the gate but I do think football's lost a bit that you can't just walk up to a game where you know you can get in that's, that's not going to be full and you can't pay on the gate and go in and watch and I think that's, that's a loss to the game really but you, you were queue. I mentioned this the other day to you that when, when we were in um, cup competitions You'd have to queue up to, to get a ticket, bef- you know, before the game, and the queues would go as far back and beyond Priory Road. Yeah. You know, just thousands and thousands of people queuing up, waiting for their chance to buy a ticket. I, but you take take us back to it then, because obviously you've got that situation. You've been in going to football. I mean, what would you count as your first season of going to going to the football? Well, our first game was January '61, and that was um, we were still in the second division. Um, and we were we were promoted the next year, next year. We in this in the close season. I was reminded. I got almost every kid in our road got what was called yellow jaundice, which is a hepatitis, and we all ended up in Olive Mount Hospital. And uh, my dad kept coming in. Oh, we're just Sandy and St John's. <laughs> we're just Sam Rodney and so I'm like, Oh, good, great. Um, and then. Um, that, I mean, the first game I went to, we lost um, in a cup to Sunderland. I remember that vividly. We lost two 0 but you know, and we didn't get promoted that season. But the following season, it was just you know, we that was it. That was the start of Shankly's brilliance, the way where he put together a team that would get not just promoted, but within two seasons win the t- win the title. Yeah, you know, brilliant. So you talk about that, you you know you by this point. By the time we get to this, but you, you've been following, you've been watching Liverpool for the best part of thirty years. By this, by, by this point, I, I guess then you know, obviously slightly shy off, and you've been in those in those, as I say, those clo- close quarters environments. You know the, the way in which people got into football games and 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 we're we're set up inside stadium in football games at the time. Obviously, completely different now, but it was it was it was like that then. What's that? What's that like then? You know, so you you're there, you're watching the game kick off, and you know. You must know from the start because you can see how packed, how packed it is. You watch the footage back. You must have known very early on that it wasn't. Well, it wasn't you right. know, by, by the time we'd got in and sat down, it was already you know starting to be a problem. You could see um, the, the police were at a bit, bit, a bit more presence at that end, and um, the, it, it was a bit odd, really, because the game had only kicked off, and you, but you knew there was something going on behind the goal, and so it was very distracting. Yeah. You know, I couldn't tell you a thing about what what the football was like in the first few minutes. Yeah, and then you start to see because the, 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 basically the game gets stopped, doesn't it? And then the, the police end up lining up on the halfway line because they, they it's reported they they wondered what, they thought Liverpool fans happened, were causing a problem. What happened was that um, the Nottingham Forest fans who had the great big cop end. They started shouting something or other, 
and the Liverpool fans who are on the pitch by this point dragging people out and putting them on advertising boards and stuff like that all really, you know, roared and rushed, you know, towards that end of the ground. They didn't get very far. They just wanted to make their anger known. Mm -hmm. And the response of the police to that was to bring on loads of police and just line the whole halfway line. So there was a barrier, basically. Um, which is again a total misreading of what was going on, you know, basically. Yeah, and so what was it? Because I my because this my, this is where like my memory of it comes in because I remember having it on uh, it would have been on Grandstand or whatever on on BBC at the time, and I hearing it, what was happening and starting to see the, the footage and all I knew that was that you were you were there. I had no way we had no idea where you were within the ground and, and what have you. So you know you get out of the ground. It's the, what 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 happens because you. It's a different different age now. Where information's passed around, it's completely completely different. You what? When did you walk out? You walked out just at, at very very early on into the game. Well, you, you couldn't get out, um, so I just basically brought Christian down and we we had a drink. You know, I'm going to say a drink. You know, we were 16. We had a coffee or whatever, uh, and we just waited and waited and waited, and then about twenty to five, we we were. Near, quite near the Leppings Lane end, and we went up and sat in some of the empty seats there just to see what the hell was going on or whatever. And I always remember seeing a couple who sat in front of me in the main stand, and I saw them, and I, I was so relieved to see them. Yeah. Not, it was, I, I didn't really know them. Yeah. It was just that you know, the, oh, these are people who are alive. Yeah. That that's what went through my head, you know, um, and just a. a that was round about the time the game would have been ending, and pretty soon after that they opened the gates and, and they may have been open already. But I, we we were due to meet Christian's dad at a set place, you know, at a set time after the end of the game. So that's when we went out. And I remember when we went out, I, there was a policeman, and I said to him, um, "How many are dead?" And he said, "Oh, we don't know anything about that. We've got no information whatsoever," which was untrue. Yeah, but. Anyway, so you walk <coughs> away from, you walk away from the ground, then and of course you know this is pre mobile phone days and what have you. Because I, what was you what was you what were your steps then? Kind of things. Is it about we trying just, to get to a phone, or is it about no, just trying to get away from the ground? No, or? We got away from the ground, and we um, we still didn't have any real clue about what had unfolded, and we didn't know numbers or anything like that. And we knew there were a few people dead, but the, I don't think we thought that it was as big as it was. And so we got back to the ground. We got back to the car and uh, we drove for a while and then we stopped at a service station and then phoned phoned home. Yeah, and because um, I remember, I, I it's, again I was like only six, but I, these are the, the little moments that I remember. I remember that phone call coming through and I remember that that the palpable sense of relief of, well, we know you're, you know, we, yeah, we, we know re- you're all right. I remember that um, I rang, and your mother answered the phone and um, I said, you know, hello and blah blah blah, and she said. Um, is that Brian? That's the guy I was with. I said no. <laughs> she, she just—I don't know. She was obviously so wound up yeah. that she couldn't really focus on because she obviously knew far more about what had gone on than we did. You yeah. Know? So very strange. And, and of course, the next day, um, Sunday morning, we always played football. If you remember, we yeah. always used to go to Sefton Park on Sunday morning and play football. Uh, and we did that. But throughout the whole game, I was just, I didn't realise at the t- time. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It was, it was like post-traumatic stress. That just felt like in another world. And then I, I obviously went into work as we, as a social worker, we had responsibility then to, to start working with people. So what? So, so tell me about that because obviously I say you're a social worker at the time, working in the working <laughs> in the city. You walk into work Monday morning. You know what's? No, I went into work Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon. We had a big meeting in town to try and organise our response, basically. So, um, and that was a bit weird as well. And then, I, then I realised. Again, still, I was in this fog, you know, um, and I, I didn't really understand why. Because yeah. obviously, I'd not harm had come to me or anyone I knew. Um, I'd got home and I'd listened on the radio all night to what, because obviously it was a major disaster and it was just full. The airways were all was full of every that was all anything was talking about, you know. So uh, I suppose it all sort of came into me um, without me realizing, yeah. you know. Um, so then yeah then I went into work Monday and we started working on um, referrals of people who were affected by because obviously so, I mean we think of social work as a lot as being uh, dealing with kids and stuff like that but what was this so was this who, who, were, you, who were you who were you working with in this, in, in this period they were survivors basically um, people who were traumatised uh, f- people people work with the families I went to one family of, of who'd lost um Lost their son, um, but most most of the families were picked up at, at, in Sheffield by people, and um, and already on Saturday night there were people involved on the ground. Um, so basically, what we dealt we dealt with was people who were traumatised by that, the actual experience of surviving the Lappings Lane end. Because that was it. That's the that is the big impact. People talk about a lot about like obviously the people who lost their lives and the immediate families and stuff. But it's 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 and you, you see this with the Hillsborough Justice campaign. They've you know you have the, the Hillsborough family support group and obviously they were predominantly focused on the people who were directly Im- impacted by that. But then you had the wider workers. Well, this had a this had a knock on effect throughout the entire city, didn't it? Because it's you know 
you're talking about a city of half a million people, but and then by that, you know, 96 people is a, a very is a, 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 a fractional well, it, percentage it, of that. Well, there's, there's 96 people who died. There's hundreds who were injured. Then there are thousands who are in the Leppings Lane end who experienced the problem. Then there are people maybe who were in the Leppings Lane end who didn't experience it quite that way, who maybe a bit they're at the back or whatever, but would have been taken up. Then there were people in the stand up above who watched it unfold. Yeah, pulling people out. That you know, then there were people like me who were in the ground and again watched it. Then there were all the the relatives. I mean I you know, I had to I dealt with some people whose, you know, families were 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 involved involved were were influenced by the trauma that their father or their husband had suffered, you know. And, uh, well, you talk about like, the post-traumatic stress so thing it, because that that is a knock on. You know, people who come back from war, don't they? And you, you know, you, you don't come back the same person. A lot of the a lot of these people. And so you talk about. I guess you're talking about somewhat. It, that has a knock on effect on how a family interacts when someone comes back with that level of trauma and, and experience as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure probably families split up over it. Yeah. Well, obviously, famously, um, Trevor Hicks. Trevor Hicks uh, but I'm sure that he wasn't the only one uh, because that those kind of tensions, you know, raise their head, don't they? I, mean, I remember we had one who was um, who was a soldier, and he, he had real trouble, yeah. um, and a, you know, at the time, even the army were not greatly up on post-traumatic stress. Yeah, strangely. Well, yeah. What was it? What was it like then in, the, in those in those days and, and weeks to follow? Because we know, you know, how involved a lot of like the Liverpool people, Kenny Dalglish in particular, was, and there was the well, memorials the, the, at Anfield. And the, Kenny and, and Marina were absolutely brilliant. I remember I went along to the ground on the last day of the. Um, the tributes where you know half the ground was covered in flowers and stuff and there was going to be a memorial service to, to finish that off because obviously you had to get back to playing football on the pitch yeah. um so after after a while they said we'll draw a line and say this is the last one and we'll have a memorial and we i went along to not not particularly because it was the memorial service but it was our turn basically to go and and help anyone who came looking for assistance but didn't need to because you know Kenny and Marina were doing it all uh, and doing a great job. It's it's funny because people talk about like that that impact and that connection that, that people have, and there's no need, for, there was no, never any need for him to do that. I say you know, I mean, there, there wasn't, the, there wasn't, there wasn't. But it's just the, just who they are, they're just great people. You know, yeah. I tell you a story though that was um, was a bit of light relief. Um, one of one of our staff, she she loved John Barnes. She'd never been to a football match in her life, but she loved John Barnes. She fancied him like hell. <laughs> and um, we were all sitting around in the players' lounge with nothing to do. Um, and then we had to go to the memorial service. So she stood up, and John Barnes came over and picked her coat up and held it out for her to put her coat on. You know, <laughs> she just melted. <laughs> she never stopped talking about. It. Uh, I was reminded of that because we. I met John Barnes the other day. Well, I was saying met him. I, I went over to him deliberately in the fan park and told him how brilliant it was watching him play football. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, and it's it's one of those things, isn't it? And I, I think obviously Liverpool have had successes and what have you in in in, in the the period that followed, and it's it's it, it's well, something. It's, so- the thing thing for me about Hillsborough was I think that was the best side Liverpool ever had. Yeah, they were they were by far the best side in in Europe. 
uh, but never got to play in Europe, obviously because of Heysel. And then, of course, they have the the, the Hillsborough tragedy, which basically finished that team off. You know, yeah. it survived another year. Basically, in the end, it took its toll on Kenny and the players, and the, the, they never really um, survived after that. Yeah. There's a real sense I got when it comes round to like fast forwarding now, like you know, 25 years onwards, and you finally have the the Hillsborough inquest and have you. I think people people don't understand at times how how much that stigma hurt not just the city but everyone from the city and associated with the city and what have you of like that was that was that was put out there by the Sun and by the the the, the Yorkshire Police and all that kind of stuff. Something you will have been more acutely aware of in the you know for the full breadth of that time. But you know I remember moving to Sheffield. And it'd be in pubs, and you'd still get people say like, "Oh, because they told the, because they told the truth. Oh, and because you you did this, you did X, Y, and Z." It's hard to put into words, really, isn't it? How much that well, one, you know, I mean, a, a mismanagement leads to a situation that's hard. You, still, you still get people calling us victims, and, you know, all that stuff, you know, um, and it, it's it being shown clearly that we were not at fault, and it's been shown a time and time again, and yet still. Ignorant supporters from other clubs are quite happy to throw up, you know, um, that we were, um, you know, culpable and responsible. I mean, I mean, it, it it's just unfortunate that after Heysel, we were we were easy targets, yeah. you know, and the, the the people who wanted to get rid of blame from themselves. Saw us as an easy option, yeah. you know, and and the the son willingly, you know, colluded with that. Yeah, yeah so. it's um, it, that real sense that when the, when the when the Hillsborough inquest and the, the the results were revealed and we you know it was finally proven beyond all doubt that Liverpool fans were you know their, their exoneration from wrongdoing at Hillsborough, it it's it's weird. It felt like a proper. Watershed moment for the for the city, and uh, you know it's obviously things are still ongoing uh, as as it stands. But there were I haven't like I I cried so much that day when that was when that was funny. When even like you've got no love for David Cameron, but you've got David Cameron saying it in in Parliament, and you've got all the, the thing the things coming out. It it again it shouldn't be underestimated just what an impact that has on the on the people of Liverpool. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, even now, it's it. You know, I mean, you, you still can't say a lot because the whole thing's still up in the air. Um, but it, you you carry that weight around with you, though you don't want to, yeah. because you you are constantly reminded of it. And the 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 burn and injustice of it was, you know, was horrible to have to live with. Yeah. And you know that makes it worse when fa other fans. You know, throw it back at you all the time. That's the thing I think <coughs> is disgusting. I still I see it from both sides. That's why I, I, I can't stand like you I mean, see Liverpool fans saying anything about Manchester United and Munich. I find it absolutely abhorrent. You know, and and, and well, is this it, using grief and using it's disaster it's as banter? Unforgivable, isn't it? Given our history, you know, it's unforgivable to try and use other people's tragedies as a as a, a weapon against them. It's just disgusting. Yeah. And you, you're not a Liverpool supporter if you do that, basically. Yeah. And if 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 you were caught saying or doing anything like that, I think you should be banned for life from Liverpool because yeah. you're not welcome. Absolutely. And the thing that's been what I, what I like is that what's happened with the with the, with the inquest and moving moving on and moving past Hillsborough, we're starting to get to a situation where uh, people can finally get on with their lives to some extent. And what's been what I think's been great, and it's 
it's been such a weight that everyone's been carrying around them. The football club's been carrying it as well to some extent because they've, they've, they've had to, they've had to shoulder it because, you know, they've a sense of responsibility because if, you know, if there was no Liverpool, no Liverpool fans could have that could have could have could have died at Hillsborough. What I think what's what's what we're finally seeing now is a, a final a, when I say a separation of the football and and, and Hillsborough, I mean this in the best possible sense because it'll never be forgotten. It's a it's it's in the DNA of, of Liverpool Football Club now. But the the fact that it doesn't need to be part of it, even going back to like the, the 13-14 for, for Liverpool, you know, challenging for the title, you had Margaret Aspinall saying like, oh, go and win, you know, doing chants, shouting after saying, go and win, go and win the league and all this kind of stuff. It's great that that's been able, that's a thing that can now exist, you know, and, and continue to be supported aside from the football, but it does feel like we're finally <coughs> able to get back to the business of being fans again and, and, and throwing ourselves into the game without having to have our focus divided by yeah. other I mean, it, off the pitch As things. I say, it's still still not finished. There's still work to be done. There's still court cases, you know, maybe appeals and stuff like that. But um, there'll come a moment when we can put it to, to rest. But, you know, there were too many people who wanted it put to rest far, far too early. Yeah. You know, and for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, in in some cases, people I knew who who were decent people who were Liverpool supporters who just got a bit fed up with the whole thing about Hillsborough and didn't understand, you know, and didn't really want to take the time to find out what had gone on. They they just wanted to forget about it. Well, know? when you get told stuff by the media and by by authority, you know, by government and by police, these people who you're supposed to be able to take their word as as gospel, there are just people who who naturally do. Take <laughs> yeah. take that way this yeah. gospel don't think. And the world is exactly like that now, isn't it? That um, there are people who are buying hook, line, and sinking messages from the government that there's no poverty in this country. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just ridiculous. Well, bringing it bringing it back uh, then, and 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 in fact, I want to take it back to the to the start and some some of the happy things. It's, it's funny whenever you, we talk about our experiences. We I live in we we live in an era now where. My son has basically the same things that I had, except they're just a bit newer and a bit more polished and a bit more whatever. You know, he, he plays the same computer, new versions of the same computer games I played, and he wears the same replica shirts that I wore, and he does all this kind of stuff. Your experience, the the, the generational gap between you and me is, is so significant, I think, when I look at it at times. And it's whenever I hear you tell stories about going the game as a kid, it's, it's something else because we hear this like mythologized the mythologized stories of the old boys' pen yeah, yeah. And, and what have you. Yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't fathom a world. So for the for for people who are maybe aren't aren't Liverpool fans or people from who are of, of a different generation, it's effectively a cage to put children in on the in the top corner of the cot. Yeah, it's like a, um, a a cross between a concentration camp and a, a crash. <laughs> And then, you know, because you hear this, the, like the, there's a right, there was a rite of passage for all boys yeah, going yeah, into at there. At some point, you have to climb out. And what was yeah. that? What was that like? Well, that was um, terrifying. <laughs> You're talking like twelve foot steel pikes and barbed wire. So you you get on the other side and you just you're like a ragamuffin torn to shreds. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was the story about the the, 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 is it the the first time you did it. And we, you were in like your Sunday best or something. For, yeah, for some odd reason, I was in the best clothes that I possessed. Yeah, How, what, what happened there? Well, they just got ripped to shreds. As I said, they were 
tattered and I cried my eyes out all the way home because I thought my mother was going to kill me. <laughs> and she just burst out laughing. <laughs> Which was worse. <laughs> I was thinking, though, the other, I was just crossing my mind over the weekend that because I've had all these Liverpool songs just running through my head constantly, that... You know, you, you, we sing songs about Kenny Dalgleish and Stevie Highway, who were most, not most, but a lot of current supporters that never saw play. Yeah. You know, we're talking what, 30 years since Kenny gave up playing, yeah. and 40 years probably since Stevie Highway gave it up. Um, but when I was, say, your age, I wasn't singing songs about um, Albert Stubbins. <laughs> It just it just didn't happen, you yeah. know. I mean, or Bob Paisley, you know, as a player, or even Billy Little, who was, you know, a god. Yeah. You know, and we didn't sing songs about them. What did you? Because it, it, I always find this funny, like, because you never walk alone came about because it was played. It was like in the charts, wasn't it? It was played before the game, and it kind of it took off from there. What 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 did what what did you what did you sing? What did you do? Um. Chuck Chuck rattles. Well, the, yeah. When I started out, it was it was rattle. I remember the the first game I went to the Sunderland game. The Sunderland fans sang, and I thought, oh, that's really weird, isn't it? You know, didn't didn't and, and Liverpool didn't really. They they cheered and shouted, and and then gradually in the mid sixties, so it, it it was like a a blooming. The whole city sort of bloomed with. With the music and the, you know the, we had a great football team, and you know there was great wit in the cop. It was such a funny, funny place to be. There would be people who would just be throwing out remarks, which just had you in, you know, creased up. Yeah. And they they were turned into songs, and you know that stuff about um, what is it, poor soldier Tommy, and all that kind of Post stuff. Yeah, yeah, that all came out of that, you know. Um, but I don't. I don't even remember the, the the point where it came. It just suddenly became. You'd sing like we, she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those kind of things were almost take once they came out as singles, they started to just be sung on the cop and, and then turned with a little twist into a Liverpool song, uh, and that just became something that you did. It's funny, yeah. isn't it? Because the sixties, you think about that, you look back. It's probably the era I look back with most jealousy of is probably sixties Liverpool when you've got the beat, the rise of the Beatles. You know, the, it, it's hard to imagine. We did a video on it. Um, that the, the FA Cup final in '65, Liverpool lift the, lift the FA Cup finally, and is that that moment where you think where you know that's the melting pot in which modern Liverpool ends up being being born? Yeah, yeah, it's it's because we won the title twice and we won the FA Cup in between, sandwiched in between those two, and we had that great European adventure, and that's where that began, you know. Um, Getting to the semi-final and really being robbed of the of the semi-final, robbed of a final place, uh, and Europe just became a mission almost, you know. And it became we felt it like our birthright that we were 
you know, it, it, it was a competition for us, you know, because it meant something. What did it mean then? Bring it back to the modern day. Then we got to go to the we got to go to the final. You'd never been to a European Cup final before. No, um, and it, it, I was, again, I was thinking about it because, as you do, I I became interested in football because of Real Madrid. There was a a, pa- a nine panel cartoon on the inside front page of the the Pink Echo. Mm-hmm. In well, it must have been nineteen sixty because Real Madrid had just won their fifth European Cup. And there was a this story, you know, for a few weeks of Real Madrid, um, how they um, had an appeal in the city for money so they could build a stadium and how they could bought a team and, and then how they went on and won five times. And I was just mesmerised by this, this thing about Real Madrid and the European Cup. And it was then that I, you know, asked my dad if I could go to the match. You know, because you, you, you wouldn't. I wouldn't have dreamed of sort of trying to go on my own. Yeah. You know, um, a couple of years later, or two or three years later, you know, we were skipping the boys' pen and catching money from people to go into the ground, you know. <laughs> but too scared to go in the cop in case you were seen. So we used to go in the Amphi Road end. Um, but Real Madrid, you know, loomed large in in my sort of um, desire to watch live football. Fascinating, really. Mm. So, yeah. So, where does it where does it rank then? You know, you've seen countless. What this European Cup final? Yeah, it's really difficult to to say because um, football's one of those things that excite you or depress you. You know, and you get, it's a roller coaster. I mean, I always remember um, say. We were in the semi-final against Arsenal, and we—I think we drew about two or three times, and we kept going back to Villa every week, waiting you know, for a result. And we—that was one of the first occasions ever we, that we got searched on the way into the ground. And when I got in, we were already a goal down, and we spent the whole game a goal down. And then in in injury time, Kenny Dalglish scored an equaliser. And I'd never been so excited in my whole life. It was just incredible. And you can't get away from moments like that. And you can never say something tops it. Yeah. Because at that, that time, it was the greatest thing you'd ever experienced in your life. And it's etched into your being. Yeah. So, you know, this, the whole experience was <clears throat> better than everything because it was a whole experience. It wasn't just going the match and watching us beat. Uh, Tottenham 2 0. It was that experience of being in a city where the, the streets were full of scousers who were all full of smiles. And, you know, we, we talked to a lot of people as we walked around, didn't we? And then uh, the fan park experience, as you said, going, going down to a bar and meeting, you know, a dad and lad from Australia. Um, that, you know, all that kind of stuff put together makes it just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. It's, uh, that's the thing for me. It's it it was it's a. It's, it's a, why it's difficult when you come back and you hear you hear people saying, "Well, it wasn't much of a game, was it?" Well, I never had to my head at the time that I was watching Dross. No, I just thought I'm watching the European Cup final and Liverpool are actually in control of this. It's funny, isn't it? Because it, 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 we've I said this for years. <coughs> we've done the best final ever 
2005 is the best Champions League final ever. I'm, I yeah, don't yeah. care. I don't yeah, care yeah. that it wasn't a, it wasn't a great final for the neutrals. I care about the fact that I've seen Liverpool be be brilliant and fall flat so many times. It's broken my heart so many times. I think it's, it actually was the the perfect culmination of our season because this season we stopped being the flamboyant team that conceded loads of goals and scored more than than that. Yeah, we became the team that was solid. And we didn't concede goals, and we 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 won games just by being pragmatic. And this was the perfect culmination. That's exactly how we played all season. And anyone who says to you that, oh well, you know, Tottenham put us under the cosh or whatever, and I've watched it back since, and at no time were we not in control of that game. Yeah. Even the saves made by Allison, I think there's only one of them. Probably Lucas Moura, is it? He has a good chance that he scuffs, doesn't he? Quite central. Yeah, and uh, he makes two or three saves, but only one of them would I think, wow, that's a brilliant you know, save. I wouldn't have, maybe another goalie wouldn't have got that. Yeah. All the rest of them were routine saves that most goalies in the Premiership would have saved. So at no point, and these were like in the last 10 minutes, yeah. at no point did I think we were not in control of that game because that's the way we played our football. I've heard it said that it feels more. This this feels like, and this is again. Apologies for, for anyone who's not a Liverpool fan, and they have to live with us potentially with this for a few years. But it feels like more like 1977. Liverpool lift the first European Cup. This feels like the start of it, an era, as opposed to being. I sort, a, I sort of felt that beforehand. Somehow, you know, Klopp is as close to Shankly as you'll get. You know, he's, and, and more so than Paisley or whatever. You know, it feels to me more like the beginning of an era rather than um, just another blip in the, you know, as we've had since well, since nineteen ninety. Mm. You know, and I'm I'm still astonished that we didn't win the league. Yeah, but the good thing about this is that it means that you can look at that league run and say. You can you can applaud it for the effort as opposed to being some sort of trite. Oh, well done! You did okay. You know, you great. Also, runs to then go and win. Well, they the they, they always say top. you know if you if you finish twenty odd points off the league, it's going to take you maybe three seasons to get up there and win it. Um, assuming you ever do, we jumped that gap in one season. And we've only got one point to make up next season, you know. So that that to me, you know, means that we are now right at the top, um, and I'm fully expecting a major assault on the title next year. Absolutely. We normally wrap these podcasts up with some some life advice. I'm throwing this on you completely un, 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 unprompted. Don't do it. Don't do life. <laughs> <laughs> In your 67 years, if there's one piece of advice that comes to you that you can hand down to someone in anything from any aspect of your life whatsoever that's going to save them some time, effort, heartbreak, or anything in between, what would it be? What would it be? Gosh, one piece of advice. I mean, if you've got ten, by all means, feel free to deliver ten. But if there's one, it can be anything I'm from the sure from the I'd profound want, I'd to want the. To advise people about anything. I mean, just just do what you think will make you happy. <laughs> I think you can do much better than that. Um, Dad, thank you very much. It's been an, an absolute You're pleasure. Um, a more than adequate substitute for Mr. Chris Pajak, who will be back on the podcast next week. He's got a special guest lined up. I'm going to be taking a little bit of a break. 
Thank you very much for watching, for listening, and for subscribing to the YouTube channel. If you've got this on your podcast apps, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, anything like that, a five-star review. Five stars can mean, mean something different now. It just means, means great. Let's have a nostalgic five stars. The last time we get to do this, put our five our five fingers up. We still, won, we still won five in Istanbul. So yeah, that's still appropriate. of course, of course, of course. Um, so yeah, leave reviews, leave comments, leave anything. If you want some life advice for next week and beyond, let it know in the comments below. Other than that, thank you very much. Thanks for subscribing. See you all soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 